Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We are excited to have Dan Cooper with us today. Dan is president of Acumen, and we're going to talk about that toward the end of our conversation, actually. But Dan, thanks for joining us today. Good to be here with you, Fred. Excellent. So I think uh, we probably just met a couple of years ago, maybe, um, through a couple of common friends. Correct. Yeah, Augie uh, Grasses and Drew Hiss. Yes. Yes. So the world is small. I know. I know. I met uh, Drew, who is, I guess, CEO of Acumen. I met him, I think, the first time on a trip to Haiti in 2011. Oh, wow. And we did a cycling. We, we did it with Global Orphan Project. And we took, I don't know, a few hundred Cannondale bicycles down there, built them, took them to orphanages. It was all after the earthquake or I think somewhere around there. What, what year yeah, was the earthquake? Yeah, 10. So yeah, we were still in the aftermath of mm-hmm. all of that. And so, yeah, we cycled all around Haiti together. So that was kind of crazy. Um, but um, thanks for joining us. And let's let's jump into your story. Let's kind of introduce you to our listening audience. Sure. And why don't you tell us where you grew up and kind of give us some some family background. Sure. I'm a St. Louis kid, uh, Lafayette High School. Thanks for asking, Fred. Lafayette. I stayed out of the Catholic mafia. So I was the public school kid (laughs) from St. Louis versus the private school kid. Uh, Uh, I met my wife in Columbia at school. We got married. MU? At MU. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, ended up moving back to St. Louis and got married fairly early. Um, lived there for eight years and then had an opportunity to move to Kansas City. She is a Brooksider and from Kansas City. Oh, wow. Um, and so uh, I wanted to live in the suburbs, which is where I grew up. She wanted to live in Brookside. And so we chose somewhere in the middle. Um, so we've been here now 13 years uh, and uh, love KC. Uh, and now a Chiefs fan, once you lose two football hey. teams, um, yeah, they, don't, they don't give you a third. True. And uh, this town has soccer, but no hockey. So that's my only beef. Oh, yeah. Um, so we have three kids. Uh, but Owen. you're probably still a Cardinals fan. Though, oh, right? most definitely. <laughs> yeah, that you one's know, I tough. Was, I was at a Cardinals game just a few weeks ago when they were in town. Yes. And they crushed us. Uh, it was so disappointing. Anyway, but. Oh, well, it's a good time. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing you don't leave for sure. Uh, so three kids, uh, Owen, Josie and Ben. Owen is 15. We're trying to find a car in the most expensive time of ever buying a car. 
Josie, we are, uh, who's 13 is all about talking about high school and Ben, who's in fourth grade and 11 years old. It's all about the Marvel cinematic universe, which is very, very important. Oh, I need to interview him. (laughs) (laughs) Hours and hours of facts and curiosities. This would be awesome. Uh, I want to get a Marvel or a DC comic or both fan on here sometime and just talk superhero stuff. That that would be fantastic. Oh, that'd that be, be fun. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. So where did your wife go to high school? If she's a uh, St. Teresa's. Okay. Yeah. Up here in no. up here in the Northland. Uh no. no. There's a St. Uh, Teresa's in, in Northland. So Kansas this one City. is more uh Midtown. Okay. Midtown. Yeah. St. Mm-hmm. Teresa's. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All girls Catholic school. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So uh your kids are going where? Uh Cure of ours and Rockhurst. Oh. So my freshman's at uh, the Rock, uh, and then we're at the the local parish school. There you uh, go, a couple of blocks from us. All right, yeah, very cool. So if you haven't figured out, I'm Roman Catholic. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and yes, we know and like Jesus. Hey, not everybody knows that. Oh, and come I've on! I've had some crazy conversations lately. You know my my favorite author the last two years of my spiritual journey. I think I shared this with you privately, but his is a is a Franciscan monk or Franciscan a father. Um, oh God, I'm going to blank on his name now. All of a sudden, Roar. Yeah, Richard Roar. Richard Thank Roar. You. Yeah. So um, he is, and and I love the Franciscan tradition. Hmm. You know, Saint Francis was a. I, I had read a biography or two on him. But uh, Richard has really, really been a been a blessing to me. His writings, books. I'm hoping to meet him, but I know he's battling cancer right now. Is there one idea that like lit the fire of of whatever that is in his writing? Was there something so so interesting? um, A a person, so a friend of mine, Stan Kronigsfeld. When I was at probably my lowest point in 2019 literally mailed me a Richard Rohr book ha. and it was it, the title of it was falling upward and I read it and I it was at a moment when I was I literally and I wasn't I wasn't an atheist but I was feeling like that I was that it was just in a super dark place and I I hadn't been I'd read spiritually my whole life right but I hadn't been and I read this book and it just re it sort of rekindled my faith and I'm, I'll be forever grateful to him for sending me a Richard Rohr book, you know, hmm. and I've read since then, I've read a whole bunch of stuff and his, my favorite book of his is called the divine dance. And it's, it's easily the best book I've ever read on the Trinity. So that's a bold statement. Put it on your read list. That's a bold statement. <laughs> any rate. So, um, so you're Kansas City folks, but from St. Louis. Tell us a little bit about your business uh, journey, and you know what after MU. Like, what did you what did you study at MU? What did you get into after college? Yeah. So uh, in school, uh, I was a communications major, TV and radio, because I wasn't smart enough to be a broadcast journalist. I also looked like this, and I knew that that wasn't going to go far in the journalism uh, world. And so when I got out, it was the first time you could edit computer on a video or edit video on a computer. And so started a video production company. Um, 
my dad was a solopreneur, always worked in the basement, always just created businesses. And so I thought how you had to go out into the world was create a company and go start a thing. And so for the first two years, I uh, was doing CDs and DVDs and all the things um, that you did uh, in video. And they wouldn't give you $100,000 as a young person, but they'd give you 10. Um, and so this was a growing company until uh, September 11th, 2001, when literally all my business went away in 24 hours. Uh, not unlike what happened with COVID, uh, the impact of that in large companies Everybody was shut down because they had no idea what was going to go. So I had entire contracts. And what are you going to do as a as a solopreneur or someone has a small team? You're not going to sue a giant company. Um, so I had to start back over. Uh, so it took me about a week to figure out that that company was done. Uh, and you do what all good entrepreneurs do. I went and sold stuff. So I sold technology and uh, medical software and some video production systems. And it was good to get out in the real world to figure some stuff out, but I still wanted to go build something. And at the same time, my dad's business uh, and a friend of his business were tanking as well. They were stand-up trainers. Uh, if you've ever been to three days of leadership training or five days of anything, back when they put 50 people in a room, that's what they did. And their market was crumbling. And so this little thing, the internet was growing up. YouTube had just launched and uh, the idea was, hey, we could take my video production background and your stand-up training background and create Netflix for the enterprise. We didn't know it at the time that that's what we were building, but we created off-the-shelf content that we then sold back to large enterprise, leadership, supervision, safety, sales, compliance, and all the like. Um, and so it was content as a service before we realized what as a service was. And so we scaled that, um, had about 35 employees. The whole goal was to innovate instead of hire more people um, with technology. And as it went from screen to screen, you were on giant televisions and we slowly got down to the small little device that grew up mm -hmm. at the same time. So fascinating journey there. Um, the joke in uh, business circles is what ship always sinks? a partnership. <laughs> and so if you talk to any business person, almost every single one of them has a partnership story and they have battle scars or, you know, things that are, some are healed and some are not. And so um, <laughs> uh, they were the older gentleman. I was the younger gentleman. Uh, they had already gambled. I was ready to go invest. Uh, and those two strategies do not mix. At the same time, um, my dad and uh, this other partner um, as the triad, uh, just pride, ego and lawyers. And it got real complicated. And so something had to change. And you can either kill the golden goose um, or you can decide to separate through through um, a much, much, much longer conversation. Uh, my dad and I sold uh, and um, it was time to go do the next. So I learned a ton in that particular story. One is you don't screw up your dad's exit, even though you think it's your company and you go, and I had some decisions to make it sometime is like, do I throw a grenade in here? And so blood is thicker than water but until you actually have to look at the water and look at the blood and actually make that decision. Yeah. Uh, two is that pride kills all 
things mm. all the time. And so actually having been in the middle of it and watching it, um, that has changed how I go about doing almost everything that I do today, seeing what it can do and um, just how petty it can become. Well, uh, it's and, like a divorce. Oh, it is exactly, you have kids, they choose sides, yeah. they don't know who's going to win. Um, and here's the funny thing is, because uh, this is hilarious, um, I was CEO one day. And I bet you spend more money on lawyers than even, oh, divorce, than even it, divorces. I mean, <laughs> all those things, all the things you think are true are actually true. Uh, to go along with the emotional headache and the just all the, the junk yeah. uh, that comes with that. So I was a CEO one day and the next day I wasn't. And what nobody tells you is that you aren't what you do. And you say that. And then it becomes a reality. So imagine one day your email is full. Uh, you have people you can call. People take your call. And literally the next day they don't. It was the most humbling thing. You're like, well, I was a giant of industry. We were doing this thing. And now I'm just a dude like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I had worked so hard on that business that I had no network here in town because I'd moved. Um, and so I learned uh basically how not to do the large part of the, the business part. Interesting. Yeah, man. Um, what year was that when it broke apart? 12. 2012. Mm -hmm. So you you had a thriving business, 9-11 hit, mm -hmm. and you literally lost it overnight, basically. Is that right? Correct. Um, so we so we're we're our interview this will release a little bit later but our interview is on september 14th and so just four days ago we were thinking backwards on 20 years of september 11th and um i i wrote a little thing as well because we i had planted this church and we had, we had been meeting in a in, in a middle school for a decade basically bought land built a building and we're ha we're having our grand opening service the sunday after 9 11 was our grand opening so we were literally we sent mailers out you know flyers to the whole community you know and invited them to our grand opening service and they're getting in the mailbox their mailer for our grand opening basically on the Tuesday of 9-11, Wednesday of 9, you know, that week. And um, so we'd grown in 11 years, we'd grown to about 400 people. And then the Sunday after 9-11, we had 800 people. So we added another 400 in one week. <laughs> Do you remember what your message was that day? So it was so I was I was doing a whole series on grace that was based basically on I was gleaning from a book called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. Hmm. And so when 9-11 happened and all the th thoughts were coming out, I stuck with a message on grace and continued that series, but applied it to applying grace to all kinds of situations, including even loving our enemies, which was kind of an interesting dynamic to bring into the table at that point right a little bit everybody was you know a lot of ideas were coming around we were being judged because of homosexuals we were lots of hatred about 
terrorists and Muslims and all, you know, there's just a lot of, a lot of ugly stuff going around in a very short period of time. So I, I stuck with a message of grace and how to respond with grace in the midst of trials and tribulations and suffering and heartache and terrorism. What I love about that message is ain't nothing changed, man. Right. That message 20 is 20 years later. Good today as it was back 20 then. years later is like same thing. Need it even more. Maybe, you know, same thing. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. But we doubled and, and our money went backwards. So now we had twice as many people and less money because of the money, you know, money really hit charities really hard in, in that 9-11 thing. Mm -hmm. So anyway, but we got through it. So 2012, you, this whole company breaks apart. What? So the company went on. Oh, okay. So, so it sold. So that's the funny thing is, um, the partnership broke up, but the company sold and went forward. That's correct. Okay. Graveyards are filled with indispensable men. So <laughs> everyone thinks they're indispensable and they're amazing, including me. And you're thinking, gosh, I hope they work out, but it's not going to go as well without me. And um, if you do it right and you're a good leader, it's going to go just fine. Mm. Um, and so we had good leadership principles, even though it was a train wreck at the end, that thing thrived. So wow. that's a, it's a fun, it's what's, can, is it, what's the name? Yeah, EJ4. Um, it's uh, EJ4.com. Uh, they just got purchased by a private equity uh, not too long ago. Um, my high school buddy ran it. He was my COO, ended up coming CEO. Okay. It was good. Okay. It was good. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in Kansas city, don't have connections. You've just moved here 2012 and you're like, all right, where, where do I go from here? What, what's next in your life? So the first thing you do is you take some time off. And so there was about 30 days to figure out, uh, just decompress uh, and to figure out what just happened. Uh, you move all your stuff out of your office and you come home and you high five your wife and then reality sets in if I'm not doing anything on Monday anymore. Uh, and so I started to do coffee, lunch, coffee, just who are you and why are you here? And tell me more about this city and here's my background. I'm not specifically looking for anything. Um, and once you're an opportunity, uh, once people understand who you are and where your opportunity lies, you get things thrown at you. So I started coming alongside other entrepreneurs to either grow through the, the cap ceiling, you know, they could only grow so big or they were sick and they needed to figure out um, how to uh, oh, write the ship and either sell or move forward. And so for the next four years, I was consulting and it was fun. And you'd go in and, and solve problems. And sometimes I'm thinking, well, maybe I could buy this company from this person. Other times it's, hey, uh, perhaps there's a partnership here. Uh, even though in the back of my head, I said I would never have a partner again. Um, and about four years in, I'm like, wow, is this just what I've become? I'm the hammer. I come in and I, you know, uh, fix things or uh, I fix something for an entrepreneur, help them grow and they don't want to sell anymore. Imagine that it's re-energized. It's uh, it's moving. And so I got to a real big point of discontent and I wanted to build something again. Uh, 
I think within all of us is let's go build something bigger than ourselves and being a, just a solopreneur. It's fun, but there is no team. Um, and my kids don't want to listen to what happened today and how awesome it was. Wow. What, so was this a consulting company that you started basically at a, are you? Yeah, it was a, a one man consultant shop okay. and, uh, you know, come in as a CXO or a COO, uh, either within the team or alongside the team and help them implement Oh, frameworks or organizational effectiveness techniques to, mm -hmm. to grow profitability. Was there a sweet spot? Do you, were you just working off networking relationships or were you actually targeting a certain type of business that was a certain size with a certain spaghetti against the wall? Okay. Uh, it was more just as you had coffee, lunch, coffee, there was uh, opportunities. Um, but it turned out this, there was a sweet spot and it was mid-market companies call it in that five to 20 million where they have enough resources to do something, but not enough resources to hire everyone they need or have all the um, techniques or things mm -hmm. to implement. So to have somebody bring other ideas to the table um, was good. Yeah. So you're talking just for, for the audience, it's, you know, not ever run a business, but you're talking about businesses, probably privately owned businesses yeah, <clears throat> that are doing 5 million to 20 million in annual sales or annual revenue, whatever, Correct. however you'd want to term that. Correct. Okay. Correct. And, uh, and that's the sweet spot there is that they're not completely strapped like they were maybe when they were just launching and getting started. But yeah, they still need to be super strategic in how they allot their resources in order to continue to move forward and grow and make impact. And, and there's natural plateau points um, where you get stuck in the whirlwind uh, to get to a million dollars is one, and then you get to that three to five and that's two. And so there, at each one, you have to reinvent the business and how it's organized. Mm. And that therein lies the challenge. Right. Um, something entrepreneurial usually is built on the power of, of this person. And now you have to uh, take that power and get yeah. to other people and hijinks ensue. Yeah. You know, it's so fascinating. Cause I, I, I've done, you know, I was, I grew up, I started a church with five people and it grew to several thousand. And I'm, my first budget was like 30,000 a year. And I think when I re, re resigned, we were hitting close to 6 million. This is a church, which is is significant for church and um and so and there's those plateaus in in church life and we don't look at it so much from the financial side but from the people side so so in a volunteer intensive organization like the church your 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 workforce is you have way more people in the in your workforce that are volunteers than are that are actually getting a paycheck Right. So the complexity of the organization is is based on like volunteers, numbers and, of volunteers and all problems are people problems. Mm -hmm. If it weren't for us people, we'd get a yeah. lot of stuff done. Yeah. So like barriers, growth barriers in church are like 50 people, mm. 100, 200, 400, 800, 800, you know, and then you, you get into barriers that are bigger than that, but they're all the same. Like what you just described that you have to almost reinvent yourself. You have to operate a different way organizationally in order to keep growing. 
Mm. It's very true in the in the church world as well. So yeah, interesting. So we had we had when I w- resigned, we had over two thousand volunteers. So if you think about the complexity of the organizational workforce around 2000. So can I just push on that point you just made (laughs) about the the church? There's the same uh, stair steps and uh, uh, plateaus. Yeah. Um, The divide between nonprofit and for profit is silly. Um, There is a challenge that I would throw out is it's all for profit something, but it's in nonprofit, it's not for loss. Uh, it's all the same challenges, and churches are operational entities, uh, just like uh, companies are. And we all could lean in a little closer to each other, and I think solve a lot of problems. There's this weird wall. I don't know how to break it down yet. I think it's something that's going to happen soon because it has to, um, because nonprofits have to create revenue in this new age in some capacity uh, because the donor base is going to dwindle over the next decade as this silver tsunami comes. Uh, so I think there's some there's some innovating to be done on both sides. Hmm. Um, yeah, and I think I, I know, um, you know, like Harvard Business School at one point a decade or more ago started trying to focus on nonprofit volunteer intensive organizations because mm-hmm. like if you can you think about it like I, I if I had a volunteer they were not only given their time but usually their money and they weren't getting a paycheck and so what was the buy-in and so the mission the missional component the the inspirational component to that nonprofit world is was was huge and like businesses you know mostly operated out of profit and paychecks well you know Paychecks are kind of short-term motivators, right? So where are we headed on the organizational side? We now, uh, Simon Sinek, start with why is the beginning of that trajectory. There's a great book called Everybody Matters, which is all about uh, everyone in your workplace is someone else's son or daughter. Wouldn't you want them to be treated with the same thing as as your son and daughter? So you can feel... um, that messaging come over to this side and people are trying to figure out what does that actually mean and how does that impact the bottom line? Yeah. So I love this intersection here of, um, yeah, the nonprofit, uh, missional focus that, and people are like literally giving their time and energy and money because of the mission and versus like, how do you create that kind of, sense of purpose and culture in a profit company and have a culture like you've just described that that's actually has some valued center culture to it not only for your employees but your customer base as well your client base as well yeah good stuff so so let's we jumped ahead there let's uh no that's good let's um let me ask you about your spiritual journey how 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 have you had a time in your life where you've where you were, have you been on a roller coaster spiritually? Have you had, like, if you, do you have high points, low points? Was there, was there a time in your life when it like dramatically shifted your spiritual journey? How would you uh, map your spiritual journey throughout your life? And yeah. what does that look like? So highs, lows, whatever. Yeah. Oh, uh, try to do the short version. <laughs> uh, as I grew up, 
um, mom was Catholic, dad was Baptist. And so therefore we were Methodists because that's what that means. <laughs> and uh, we went to a lot of churches. My dad always got involved in boards. And uh, so we moved around a lot and I was never confirmed. I didn't go through any of the classic stuff because we were hoppers. Uh, so I had a very eclectic uh, view of church, not of Jesus. I think I always had a very centered, my mom was a prayer warrior. My dad always taught wherever we were, but in terms of how to worship and what it looked like and what it felt like was always very open. Um, did a hedonism train in high school and college, um, got married, always knew it. I'd, I'd come back to it. Um, my wife's cradle Catholic. I'm whatever that is at this point. Um, hedonism train. Is there another kind? I'm just like, curious. Uh, Have you ever heard of a hedonistic Christian? Uh, say more about that. <laughs> no, there's a, there's a, there's some theologians out there that really, like even C.S. Lewis talked about um, when we pursue the highest pleasure, you know, which which he would have been saying God, then we should all be christian hedonists mm. like because what we do is we we settle for lower pleasures and and when we don't go for the ultimate you know anyway I, if i remember so. <laughs> uh, he was talking about mud puddles there you go versus so you got it we are all hanging out in mud puddles you got it so i was making mud puddles during there, high school yeah, the hedonistic yeah. the mud puddle uh, train you know? and so <laughs> when we uh finally had first kid and said hey we should go to the same church uh, and she's cradle Catholic. I'm this weird thing. Um, and we probably visited 18 churches over a two year period. Uh, big churches, small churches, hat on backwards, big band, small band, hands up, hands down. I mean, the whole nine mm. and nothing, nothing like I like something. She likes something, uh, nothing on the same track. And uh, the Catholic church was never an option. I was like, listen, there's junk in my family about that. Like my mom grew up through the fifties and sixties and ruler hitting and, you know, giving pe people the finger causes you to get pregnant and things like that. You know, uh, I don't know if they actually said those things. That's, that's just how my mom talks about it. Like it was ridiculous. It was crazy. And, uh, and this was in like Oh three to Oh five, which is when the Catholic church is, um, at it, one of its low points of just all of the sexual, mm. um, predatory, disgusting stuff mm -hmm. is coming out. So I'm just like, hey, no entry, no bueno. Mm -hmm. Like, like we, we, we're not even doing it. So I'm driving by in our neighborhood in St. Louis, which has a Catholic church on every corner. Um, and it's the first time God's ever like, quote unquote, spoke to me, you know, uh, driving by it. And it's like, you should go here. <laughs> like, uh, pardon me, do you know what's going on there right now? And do you know the junk that how that would go? And that has a tall wall to get into because it takes a year. And so I'm going through all this thing and there was silence afterwards, kind of like, dude, you asked, I told you, you're free to choose. So I go home that night and I'm like, um, think we should try the Catholic church. Of course, my wife is like, who made you say that? And if you're honest, I didn't do it. I didn't make you like, you can't ever hold this against me, right? Like if this is the one that I would like, you can't do it. And I'm like, no, this yeah. is of my own volition. It just took me a while to get here. Hmm. And I used to think that the Catholic church needed a um, 
evangelical, you know, uh, evangelistic person to help it grow. And what I found out was I needed it um, in its depth. Uh, I'm a shiny object input learner kind of guy. There is so much content I could live many, many lifetimes hmm. and never get all the things uh, from it. So it has been um, an amazing uh, blessing to me. And that's cool. It's not the normal way uh, you convert. Yeah. Well, you know, the, I think the thing that amazes me about the Catholic Church is, you know, it's a long history, good, bad, and indifferent, right? Mm -hmm. But then the streams that are in the Catholic Church, there's so many different streams like like we were talking like francis uh i mean i keep saying francis because he's a franciscan but richard Rohr's stream yes. is the franciscan stream and it's very distinct from say like the thomist stream in catholicism you know around you know, you know, aquinas and all that stuff and so i mean you got scholasticism you got mysticism you got all of these different streams and some of them are yeah. quite quite different from each other but but you're right. You could, there's so many different places to swim in that in that historical thing we call the Catholic Church. That uh, yeah. So this is a question a that I think um, I've asked a bunch of times as strange things keep happening in our organization, um, and I think other Christians uh, are starting to ask themselves, or at least I've heard, um, which is. Uh, is it time to go somewhere else or do something else or be something else or stop? And uh, I just coming back to uh, Peter's line, like, where are we going to go? Like, you're going you're gonna to leave, you're going to leave this like the, everything's broken somewhere. Right. So you can either be a part of it and make it so or you can leave it. And so um, that one has been tough because there's been many tough things to stare at. And you're like, wow, maybe I'm not supposed to be here, but I don't know where I'd go. So I think Christians, um, for the first time, uh, being a Christ follower is going to cost us something where our country is headed. It's going to get interesting, maybe not in the next 10 years, but um, our faith will be tested as it um, as it's going to cost us something in this next uh, generation. Mm. Yeah. So so would you say that you're you're like once you got connected to the church there was that that actually was a, a, a significant point in which your your spiritual growth was move, accelerated would you say that yeah yeah i'd say it was it was the beginning and then the company uh tragedy or whatever you want to break up was the other one uh as my faith was growing you know you're in prayer and um the kind of the the message that uh, my, my journal would say I was getting is um, it's not my company. And I'm like, right, Lord, it's all yours, right? Mm -hmm. Stewardship, everything belongs to you. Mm -hmm. And this one was actually literal. Like, no, seriously, dude, it's not your company. Mm. Um, and it's not often that it's a literal translation. Uh, and so afterwards, it's like, well, if that wasn't my company, then what am I supposed to do? And so during that consulting time was this um, intense why am I here? What am I for? Who should I do it for? Who should I do it with? Mm. And this discernment of like, okay, if it's yours and you're going to guide me in this, like, I'll go. I didn't know it would be that long of a walk to figure out what my next one was. Um, but it was definitely a, a, a time of deep reflection. Mm. Um, 
to help me figure out what my why was. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's jump into, um, acumen and how you got connected with acumen and give us a little history of acumen and what that company's all about. You're the president of acumen. Yeah. So yeah, we yeah. all have whatever title we want to give ourselves <laughs> nowadays. Uh, so in that journey, I figured out my why was to come alongside other people to help them grow their thing. And thing is a very important word in that one phrase um, because uh, it means lots of things, whether it means father or kid or business or um, so I'm a developer of people. And that is why I was made. And so I ended up after this kind of four year stint and wanting to get back into building something coffee, lunch, coffee, end up meeting my now business partner, which I said I would never have. And uh, I start describing what I love and hate about uh, the current thing that I do and what I really want to do. And here's kind of my my one phrase strategy. And he said, that's funny. Let me tell you about what I'm doing. And he explains Acumen, um, which is a catalytic community of owners and CEOs of mid-market companies um, that come together to uh, increase impact and influence within their community. Um, and so it is a peer advisory and mastermind uh, community that helps companies in that five to $50 million space um, increase their top line, optimize their bottom line, and enrich the storyline. And um, it is playing glass before stained glass. So it is people, performance, profit, uh, and yet how we make decisions matter. So uh, faith is a part of it. You have to raise your hand and say, hey, Jesus is somewhere on the spectrum in my life uh, while I'm going to build uh, whatever you've been called to build. Say that again. You're, you had three rhymes there. <laughs> Uh, not the whole thing again, but just the. <laughs> yeah, please don't say all this stuff. Yeah, not all of it. Just Gro the, grow the, your top line. Is that what the, you're talking the, about? The, the 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 three rhymes that you had right in a row. The 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 the. Anyway, how did you say that? I lost it. Which piece? It was very memorable because you can't remember it. Yeah, it was right before you talked about the plain glass versus the stained glass. You you said uh, you wanted. So it's probably uh, grow the top line. Right. It's all about profitability. Mm -hmm. You need to uh, raise grow the here. top line, uh, optimize the bottom line. So reduce optimize costs, which line. gives yeah. you more dollars mm -hmm. and then enrich the storyline, enrich the storyline growth for the second. Uh, I growth like the, for the I, sake of growth. I like the, the enrich the storyline. I mean, obviously the top line is critical. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to, you want a growth oriented company, I'm assuming. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, the bottom line is what where money's being wasted. Where one we're and it's thinking. profitability. Right? Yeah. If you optimize yeah. the bottom line, then right. something good's happening, and it allows you to do stuff with the resources you create. Mm -hmm. But talk a little bit about optimizing the storyline. So, if you enrich someone's storyline, um, a couple of models. If you look uh, at Abraham, and let's take the send. Shurian, I think it is. So, oh, like Bible if, Abraham? Yeah. Okay. So if you All take right. Bible Abraham and <laughs> God's like, like, hey, you're going to be my God and you're going to be my people. He's like, great, let's all go get circumcised. So you get the guy at the top and the rest of the organization <laughs> comes alongside. Circumcised. Yeah, right. So if that's a value, you had to say why, right? So that's a very extreme example. Let's go back now to the New Testament and kind of 
bring it forward. Um, you know, as Peter goes to the uh, centurion's house um, and he's like, hey, if you all be baptized, then you and your house will then come. So um, enriching the storyline is if you get the leader at the top, manager, the topmost person, person and they have a change in values and heart and head and mind and they now have a deeper purpose other than just profitability i mean it has to be there or else who cares um but then the storylines start to change both inside their company which is the the people they've been given um to shepherd mm -hmm. um, and outside in the community and so that mm -hmm. is the storyline and inside themselves and their mm -hmm. marriages and their kids and mm -hmm. the, and the so it's the that ripple effect so yeah that's the enrichment. Awesome. I like that. Yeah. Ownership and yeah. Who's, who's, who's the real manager around here? Yeah. 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 Submission to, or surrender to, we like to say in the recovery world, you know, it starts with surrender. Mm. Um, the, the journey of recovery starts with surrender. Probably every journey starts I think with maybe surrender. Something there in there, <laughs> yeah. It's not you're not the center of the universe. Somebody else is, is you know. I mean, that's my story, <clears throat> right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, when was Acumen founded? Oh, you're going to test me. Uh, when would that be? Then, what is it? Fifteen. Two thousand fifteen. Twenty fifteen. And. It started with um, Drew, who started a team of 12 owners and CEOs. Uh, I came alongside and the hypothesis was, what if we went deep in a market? So a lot of times what happens is one person builds a team um, and that's kind of, it's nice and it's cool. Uh, and if they grow, they put somebody in another city and they build the team, they give them the tools and then they go across each city. And our hypothesis was, what happens if we just went real deep in one city and grew it to as big as we could? So today we're 85 um, owners and CEOs and key executives um, with five people that are growth catalysts, which are the uh, facilitator of each team. And we just opened up Denver. So we went really deep. And what we found is that about 50 funny stuff starts to happen. Um, there's a, enough people that uh, and resources that generosity things and business deals and connection starts to work without us doing any heavy lifting. Just the momentum of the community does a lot. Yeah, the relationships kick in. And right? so, wow, how many communities could use that? Yeah, so you're talking like in Kansas City right now, you have 85 CEOs that that ha, that are running privately owned mid-range companies between 5 million and 50 million annual sales revenue. Correct. All right. All 85 of these people um are they men and women? They are. I would tell you that from a demographics um there's just more men that run companies. Believe me, I than know there are uh, women. So it I, is. I like to I like to hunt for women it CEOs. Is you know, disproportionate, right? Uh, and something worth uh, working on and, and looking at. Sure, uh, looking after. Yeah, 
and and I mean diversity, not just male female, you know. But uh, yeah, same way with you know, trying to find uh, minority business owners and that kind of thing. So we started one team in Denver. It's more diverse than almost all of Kansas. Why is that? Denver's more diverse than Kansas, mm -hmm. um, and there's a challenge there. Some of it, it's just, we don't know how to cross the divide. And so that is something mm -hmm. that we're looking on. There's been mm -hmm. Unite KC here and that's launched. And so we're a part mm -hmm. of some things to try to figure out how mm -hmm. we cross that bridge. Um, and then on the other end, there's just a reality of mm. it's what the makeup of the city looks like. Yeah. Um, so can we all do better? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there's also reality. Yeah. I, I attend the, the largest African-American church in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, and so, but yeah, I keep my eyes out for women CEOs and African-American CEOs, Hispanic CEOs. So, yeah. Well, cool. Um, so, so you've got 85, most of these would say they're followers of Jesus, right? And, and, and they want to build a company that has spiritual values that run through it. Is that, is that correct or? So um, look at it as a spectrum. There are CEOs that happen to be Christians and then Christians that uh, are CEOs. So if you asked me if I was Buddhist or Jewish or Muslim, I would be like, no, I'm Christian. And then you'd ask me about what's my journey look like? And you're like, well, I don't know. I'm kind of a cultural Christian and uh, we go a couple of times a year. On the other side of that is someone who can quote scripture, leads Bible study, um, probably has a morning practice and they just happen to run a company. Mm. And so um, we target this one to five and the six to 10 just come along. Mm. And together in a room, there's this uh, genuine discipleship that pulls them uh, forward. And what's funny is there's a lot of truth and a little bit of grace when it comes to business on uh, one side. And there's a lot of grace, but a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of truth on the other. And they both pull each other towards mm. um, increasing in grace and increasing in truth, which is really what our faith is about. Mm. Good, good. So, so when you get 12 business owners in a circle together and they're meeting on a regular basis there you get you get all this peer dynamic they learn from each other mm -hmm. they're in a similar bandwidth in terms of their annual revenue and sales and so they're they're probably facing some of the same problems same obstacles same struggles as well as some of the same opportunities right true true For sure it's true all right um Re regardless of what their business is right so 90 Seven percent of all challenges are people challenges. Um, right seat on the bus. How do you handle this or not handle this? Um, and then I would say there's a lot of strategy involved, um, and there's a lot of checking. Uh, when they say it's lonely at the top, what are they talking about? Um, there are times when almost all CEOs have said something out loud, and to have people in their office after that saying, "So does that mean I'm out of a job?" or are we selling the company? And it was really just a, I'm trying this on to see how it feels. And so it's also a safe, transparent um, place to try on and see. So not only is it best practice sharing, it's a safe place to grow um, without any repercussions, mm. just in case. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're, so you've got the peer mentoring, you've got 
the spiritual component, there's spiritual growth. It's a dynamic that's going on because the people are meeting in community and sharing their lives and sharing their faith and all that kind of stuff. And then there's the, I'm assuming there's a business mentoring component. And so you guys probably work with some type of a paradigm where you're, you're checking down through the major systems that every business needs to operate well. And, sure. And, there's and there's best pra practices across it. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say the the other pieces of the puzzle. So there's one on one executive coaching. It's where you get a little deeper, a little more into um, the weeds, uh, both of uh, the entrepreneur's mindset, but also of their business uh, financially, structurally. And um, then we have an all community event where the entire community gets together. It's the accidental networking no one actually wants to do to begin with uh, in, in a place where it's okay to shake hands. And then we try to get out of town once a year, go do something adventure-y. Um, not unlike what, whatever you're thinking of it, the adventure is, that's the type of adventure you try to go on um, when everyone's not trying to make the next meeting. Uh, there's just more relationships yeah. built. Good stuff. Good stuff. So you... So you're working, you, you do executive coaching in that executive coaching. I'm sure you're, you're breaking down the, the business organizational model into some key components. Is that true or not? So every, every business I mean, is different and there's a method to the madness, but some of it's based upon what are the challenges of the entrepreneur, the business owner, then um, some of it is simple as uh, should I go left or should I go right? Other is hey, do you know any people that could help me with X, Y, Z? And so uh, we are general practitioners. Um, if we were doctors, we are general practitioners. We're gonna make sure you, you're healthy. Uh, and then if you have a specific piece that is sick, um, we're gonna help you find a specialist. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So there's a bit of a pathology report yeah. and a, big, a bit of a health report, yeah. right? So you're like, where, where's the company sick? What are What is the most common factors of a of a privately owned company that's growing, but has what, what are the most common elements that are like going, ah, these are the, these are, these are some of the basic big problems. Uh, without a vision, Top the three, without a vision, the people perish. Okay. We don't know where we're going, why we're going there, what winning looks like just more faster or hold on for dear life and let's make it to the next mm -hmm. quarter and let's do it over and over again. So if you're, you don't have so vision mission values everybody mm -hmm. talks about them you don't have to call them those but you need to have an mm -hmm. idea of where you're going so that'd be one uh two is lack of visibility in finance i don't i don't understand cash flow yes my bank account says it has money in it but i don't understand how it, things come in or things go out uh and so that would be two and then three is am i playing by some sort of playbook uh if you watch any football game, there's plays, there's entire books of how we're going to execute both offense and defense and strategy. It's usually three to five years for that to evolve. And um, there is organizational whiplash within leaders, which is well, we're going that way, doing it this way. We're going that way, doing it this way. So do you have a playbook that you've decided on that is not a shiny object that you are going to for the next three to five like, years, use. Stick with it. That doesn't mean you're not gonna innovate or change, but it's how will everyone know how the game is played? Mm. So there is a semblance because the world is on fire, how fast it's moving now. So our strategies need to be simple and yet um, mm -hmm. something you can do yeah. over and over. You know, and you know, things that you can measure, you know, nickels and noses, we used to say in the church, but. I mean, you know, your client base, your 
your your fine your your sales, all of that stuff. But then you have these intangible things that are so important that mm-hmm. that are much harder. They're like the social factors in a business that can be extremely important, but like you, it's hard to put a metric around it, right? Like, um, what's an example of one? Well, um, like, okay, yeah. So for the church, like, okay, like if you say, okay, well, we want to help people become devoted followers of Jesus. Okay, well, cool. What? Well, how do you measure that? That's like a spiritual. Um, it's a spiritual slash social metric that, like, then how would you? Okay, well, how do you know if somebody actually grew last year? to this year where they're actually a, 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 a deeper follow of Jesus. What, what, how would you even measure that? You know, that kind of a thing. Mm. Right. So, so it's not just like, Hey, we got 10 more people, but what's, what's the, what's going on in the hearts of these 10 people? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. So I think you're talking about two different things. One is the scorecard metrics. I would call it a scorecard is how do you know you're winning? You need to something that measures, wins and losses and you have to put something on the board Mm -hmm. um and then there's other metrics organizational health uh, the intangible stuff right Mm -hmm. how are we living out our vision mission Mm -hmm. values how does that look um are are people moving forward in it uh what i have found is that every company is different and you just have to start and then those things become apparent over time and usually your team is ending up giving it to you versus you deciding what it is and mm. pushing it down. Um, it's a very bottom up. The intangibles are bottom up because mm-hmm. you can't see what's going on mm-hmm. down there. Yeah. Yeah. Social factors are, 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 are definitely there, but you do have health sign, you know, like what's your, I mean, even like your turnover rate on your employees and stuff like that maybe tells you something if you're, if, if you're having a higher turnover rate in terms of employees, certain types of employees, certain sectors of employees and than sure. other companies. Sure. So what's going on there? You know, that gets back to diagnosing your, some of your issues you're dealing with. Yeah. The best way to figure out what's wrong in your company is just ask the people in your company. <laughs> They're more than happy to tell you what is not going well. Now, ask them what's going right and what's awesome, and it's very hard to answer. But um, there's usually not no lack of uh, yeah. feedback from how could we do things better. There you here. go. Yeah. All right. Well, tell tell people how they can connect with Acumen and uh, what are like what are what's your websites? What what are ways that just anybody like if somebody's out there listening, they're going, "Hey, I wish my my CEO would get involved in that," or sure. if, or if they're just a, a a worker and employee and and they just like like what they're hearing is there a way that just somebody who's not a ceo can connect with acumen is sure number one uh just hit the website acumen impact i-m-p-a-c-t dot com all one word um and then on that homepage is the most valuable tool uh for dealing with high stakes conversations called fetch 
It is an eight step process that I guarantee if you follow it, it will make hard conversations easier. Um, and so that's right on the homepage. You can download that. That is a, uh, a go-to tool that um, everybody in the world should know how to use, whether it's with uh, wives and kids um, or if it's with uh, employees and managers. Yeah. So those I'm, are the two big spots. I, I, I came across, I, I've been exposed to that. It is good. Lots of, lots of practical uses for that. Yeah. Good. Excellent. All right. Well, um, tell us, tell us what you feel like is going on in Kansas city as we kind of close what, what's going on in Kansas city as far as, uh, work environment, workplaces, are people catching on to, uh, more faith-based friendly work things? Do you see, do you see a trend of any type that's positive and hopeful? Yeah. Uh, I would say we're all biased. Uh, we all have our own little vein that we're seeing. And uh, so I try to get out of the hot tub every once in a while. The hot tub's nice and it's warm and it's full of like nice friends. And so uh, when I get out of the hot tub and look around Kansas City, I see uh, two things. One, kind of a preparation for whatever is coming. We are a growing city. Um, there is investment coming into our town. We're in the middle of the map. Manufacturing's coming back um, to the States because everyone's supply chains have been all jacked up. So there is much opportunity that is going to come to our city. And so a war on talent and a, uh, a, a just competition is coming. And so it is a preparation and get your house in order. So you're ready for the opportunity and ready for the challenge. Uh, and then from the faith side, I do think that there is this unification going on. Um, you know, I'm a Catholic dude. Uh, my partner is a rock and roll church, uh, you know, non-denominational. Uh, we sit in groups where everybody is in all things. I think there is a unity within the business community that I hope is going to um, eventually there's this this meeting of, of church and, and business that gets closer and closer. Um, I think I have some mental junk around that in my head, uh, but I. I think there is this coming together because it, it feels like it's it's outside. So this movement within the marketplace, uh, but it's still only one company at a time, one leader at a time. So mm. those are some big trends if I were to yeah. just throw a dime out there. Excellent. Well, I, I was able, I, I was able to interview Mark Whitaker mm. a few weeks ago yeah. and um, he, with this T factor and that was so fascinating. I went to that T factor conference. I think you guys yeah, it was, it were was part of hosting that or hosted it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was so encouraged by that, that, uh, whole thing, especially with a company like that, this co-consolidated and publicly traded company, being able to build faith-based friendly environments. I thought, wow, this is cool. You bet. Yeah. Uh, so now it's time to show people. So we've done a lot of telling. Now it's time. To sh it's the show part Yeah, uh, for all that. It's good. Well, thanks, Dan, for joining us. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Spirituality Adventures. Be sure and tune in to uh, acumenimpact.com. Is that right? That's correct. And uh, check out Fetch because that's a great tool you can use in your home with your family, with your kids, in your marriage, and in your workplace. So check that out and take care. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Brad. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then 
go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com and make a one-time donation, or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.